Today's podcast is brought to you by FantasyAces.com, the premier destination for daily fantasy sports and home to incredible once-in-a-lifetime big-ticket live championship finals for pro and college football, baseball, and basketball. Join FantasyAces.com today and claim your 200% first-time deposit bonus with promo code 4 for 4 That's 4 4 4 Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, and I'm joined by one of the great minds in fantasy football and DFS, 4 for 4's TJ Hernandez. TJ, how are you? What's up, Chris? Uh, man, I'm just ready to piece the puzzle together in week six. You know, every, every week once kickoff hits, I'm just, you know, it either looks like it's going to go really good or really bad, but either way, I'm excited just to get back to that grind of, you know, looking at those prices and figuring out who's who on the week. Um, you know, last week, I think you were in the same boat as me. We had a lot of Jamal Charles. Yeah. So uh, that happened. I think that happened to, to quite a, a lot of people last week. Uh, luckily, because he was owned so much i was somewhat able to keep my head above water for the week uh, so it wasn't a complete disaster definitely and uh before we get into our week six picks and our theory segment and also some twitter questions let's quickly touch on the music that played us in it was rough riders anthem by dmx off his 1998 album it's dark and hell is hot tj i know you have a dmx story you'd like to share yeah, man. I mean, like like the rest of our our bringing music, you know, these songs take me back to my youth. Uh, funny and probably very inappropriate when when this uh, album was, you know, all the craze. I was uh, pretty heavily involved in in the youth group at church, and we used to be on the bus to trips, rapping DMX in the back, which probably isn't very good to be singing on a on a church trip, but whatever, it was fun, and we liked DMX, so that's that's what it reminds me of. We we're just some some bad kids at the at the church youth group singing DMX. All right, if if your <laughs> if your idea of inappropriate and bad is a church youth group, then you hey are, man, you you're obviously a much better kid than I was. You That's can't all sing I'm gonna say. DMX lyrics at church. I mean, you got you know, there's some there's some inappropriate lyrics in there. You're gonna get some some uh, crooked looks from the from the youth pastor. Man, if you only knew some of the trouble I got into at church, you know, we, <laughs> we won't even get into that. You know, again, no. inappropriate. <laughs> We're gonna we, keep... don't, we don't mix church and fantasy. We don't. Not like not here. State. Not now. You know. Let's 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 stay. Let's stay <laughs> with some DFS for week six. You know. And I just want to talk about week five a little bit. You know. We like to go over what we learned. DFS is a constant learning experience. And there were two things that really stuck out to me. So I'll just quickly touch on those. Um, number one was. Last week reinforced how important volume is. A lot of the top performers and surprise top performers in some cases had seen upticks in volume before last week. So, of course, there was Devontae Freeman with the Monster Week, and he was averaging over 25 touches per game as a starter coming into last week. Then you had Doug Martin, who was the top-scoring running back of the week. He was averaging 18.5 touches per week coming into last week and had seen over 20 the week before. Alan Hearns had a big week last week, was coming off a 15-target game in Week 4. And then Gary Barnage... TJ's favorite tight end had seen. Hey man, I was wrong on Gary. <laughs> had seen 7.5 targets per game in weeks three and four. So again, always pay attention to volume, pay attention to trends and recent upticks in volume. They can pay off in a major way in DFS. And then one other thing I want to mention is injuries. 
in our inaugural DFS MVP pod, I mentioned one thing I think is very important for DFS players is to study the injury report, and that really helped out last week as a few popular plays popped up with new injuries during the week. So you had Julio Jones with a hamstring injury, and he turned out questionable. He underwhelmed, got lucky with a fumble recovery touchdown. You had Pierre Garçon pop up on the injury report with a knee injury, and he underwhelmed with a 3-for-51 line. Charles Clay popped up with a calf injury, and he was held to one catch. And then Anthony Dixon had a calf issue and wasn't able to handle a full workload. So just as a reminder to our listeners, we are recording late Wednesday night, so be sure to check the injury report during the week, Saturday night and again Sunday morning before finalizing your lineups. If you're a 4 for 4 sub, I do post Sunday morning updates Is if there is significant injury news. So last week in my cash game write-ups, I suggested people ease off Julio and also pivot to Marquise Wilson as a salary saver over Dixon. And those turn out to be very important changes. So again, just a reminder, check the injury report news. Um, TJ, what about you? What stood out to you last week? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, you mentioned uh, Marquise Wilson at the end. I think uh, we talked about him Sunday morning, I think, uh, when we were just you know doing some last-minute lineup building. Uh, just like you said, what really stood out uh, last week is just as fantasy players in general, not even just DFS, is you just have to keep trusting those numbers. We talked about sample size last week. Uh, a lot of those trends that we expect to uh, normalize began to normalize last week. Um, I went on, on a bit of a Twitter rant uh, last uh, week before the games just talking about some touch numbers some volume numbers some numbers that we should expect to uh regress and it touched on guys like Willie Sneed mm-hmm. um you know like Doug Martin uh like uh like Todd Gurley uh you know we aren't always the best um player evaluators you know there there's gms that get paid millions of dollars to evaluate player talent um and they get it wrong a lot so you know i'm i'm of the uh school of thought that you just kind of have to trust the numbers and i kind of shy away from saying who's a better player um and that really started to show up in week five and as we get uh more and more into the season we'll keep seeing those numbers normalize even more and more so you know pay attention to those um, those rates, you know, the, the volume numbers, uh, efficiency numbers for quarterbacks, uh, things like that. And those are always over the long term going to regress to what we expect them to. Um, from, from an actual football standpoint, what really stood out to me in week five, and it seems like an eternity ago because it was the Thursday game, uh, but Houston's offense, it was, it was just, they, they made it so clear that it's just going to be Arian Foster and um, and DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to get all the touches, all the targets. Uh, so I think we'll talk about that a little more. But you, go ahead and ride that way. We've seen this before. Um, obviously with Arian Foster, that players, if, if they're just dominant, it doesn't matter if they're in a bad offense, they're going to produce in fantasy, um, especially when they're getting all of the work. Uh, you know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, this is really starting to um, look like the closest thing um, you know, we've seen to Josh Gordon in terms of just a receiver that's just going to eat up everything in that offense. He's just so good. It doesn't matter who his quarterback is or who the offense is. Um, he's just going to produce. Uh, so that's what really stood out to me in football terms this week. Um, Chris, unless you have, you know, any other thoughts on, on that, we'll go ahead and, and jump into the DFS part, the important stuff, the, the quarterbacks of the week. Right. Actually, I do have just wanted to add on to your point about the Houston offense. Another thing that's helping the production of Foster and Hopkins is the fact that Houston leads the NFL in pace. They are yeah. they have the least seconds between plays at 22.07 uh, seconds between offensive plays in the league, and they're second in situation neutral pace. So Houston is, in addition to basically force-feeding their two best players, they're also playing at a very high pace, which kind of increases the floor and it makes these guys more consistent. So that's, again, something to keep in mind. And something to keep in mind with any player you're thinking about rostering, always check out the pace stats and you know see if there's could be an uptick just because there's more plays in the game but um going into quarterbacks 
it all has to start with Tom Brady this week. He's 9K on FanDuel and 8,100 on DraftKings. He is the fantasy QB1 through the first five weeks of the season. He has a good matchup. The Colts have allowed 293 passing yards per game despite facing... Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Blake Bortles, Marcus Mariota, and Brian Hoyer, and Mm -hmm. Ryan Mowat. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, the Colts have not been good at defending the pass this year. New England's team total reflects that. It's 31, the highest on the slate. Brady has been responsible for 72% of the Patriots' offensive touchdowns going back to the start of the 2014 season, including the playoffs. So he should be a good bet for multiple touchdowns, as always. And as a bonus, there's the deflate gate revenge narrative. And you have that on your side if you're so inclined. Although, to be fair, Brady's whole season has been one big deflate gate revenge game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, so. What what does John call it? The angry Tom Brady theory? Yeah, I think so. You (laughs) You know, Tom Brady's angry. The Colts, you know, they caused him a lot of grief this season. They made him get a new cell phone. Nobody likes to get a new cell phone. So, you know. I expect him to come out gunning. Um, And then, to save a little salary, Carson Palmer, he's 8K on FanDuel and 6,600 on DraftKings. With quarterbacks, we are looking to emphasize efficiency a bit more than volume, as I've written in my Daily Fantasy quarterback playbooks. Palmer is third in the league in QBR this year. He leads the league with an 8.8% touchdown rate. That's touchdowns divided into attempts. He's thrown multiple touchdowns in eight of his last 10 games, has gone over 300 yards in three-fifths of his games this season. And I bring up these outstanding numbers because they're not just a guy getting lucky and outperforming his career marks. They're a function of the Cardinals' offense with Bruce Arians. They are very aggressive, very vertically oriented. They throw even when they have a lead. They aggressively target their best wide receiver, Larry Fitzgerald, in tight spaces. So I would expect Palmer's great season to continue. The Steelers are coming off a short week. They're allowing a 70% completion percentage and a 9-3 to touchdown to interception ratio. And then quickly, just some GPP options. Because you know uh, Tom Brady will be probably in about a fourth to a fifth of GPP lineups. And even though Tom Brady is pretty much a lot for a strong week, that doesn't mean he's necessarily a lot to be the top scorer of the week. So you always want to try to get some exposure to a few other quarterbacks in GPPs and diversify a bit. Sam Bradford's in a good spot against the Giants defense. He's a, uh, That has allowed the second most passing yards per game. There's a 50 over and under in the Giants-Eagles game. Philly has an implied point total of 27. Eli is in play as well as long as Odell Beckham Jr. is healthy. So watch his status. Philip Rivers' price is still down across the industry. And he projects a strong dollar per point value at Green Bay. And he has Antonio Gates back. So that will solidify his touchdown potential. And I do want to mention Blake Borders as well. He's a guy that I've been having a lot of luck with stacking uh, in recent weeks, and I've read a great article on 4 for 4 about in- injury research, excuse me, which I'll post um, in the article for the DFS MVP pod, but basically it found that players with questionable tags see a decrease in performance. Quarterbacks see about 25 to 30% decrease in touchdown production. So Bortles is currently questionable, has a little bit of a shoulder injury. He says it's fine and he will play. So if he's upgraded to probable, I'd fire him up as well against Houston's 28th ranked defense in quarterback schedule adjusted fantasy points. So those are just some guys I'm looking at quarterback this week. And then another guy who's always in play is Aaron Rodgers as a pivot off of Tom Brady. Uh, Rodgers might even get Devontae Adams back this week. Chargers, Packers is another game with a 50-point over and under. So, TJ, we'll get to running backs in a sec. I don't know if you have anything to add about quarterbacks. Uh, no, nah, man, I, I like what you mentioned about um, Blake Bortles, that article on 4 for 4. Um, I also came across that. Anytime uh, you find those those historical stats, those historical trends, that's always a little bit of an edge to be had because a lot of people aren't factoring that into their decisions. Uh, I think Rivers is, is going to be um, a GPP play 
uh, almost every week going forward. I mean, San Diego kind of has one of the, the sneaky best uh, receiving cores uh, in the league. If you consider, um, you know, Stevie Johnson's coming back. They got Ladarius Green and Antonio Gates now. And then Woodhead is, you know, basically another receiver for them. Uh, they got weapons everywhere. It's really hard to match up with that offense. So Rivers is always an option to put up, you know, a three or four touchdown game. Uh, we saw what he did last week against Pittsburgh. And then um, if you just look at the whole slate, this is – um, in my opinion, especially for GPPs, one of the first weeks where it's kind of just wide open at QB. Um, if, if even if you just kind of take the Vegas totals out of it, uh, there's games like the San Francisco Baltimore game and Chicago Detroit game where the over unders aren't super high, but they're both uh, games with two really bad pass defenses. Yes. So those could turn into some sneaky shootouts. Um, you know, so. I love Vegas totals. Vegas is way smarter than me, but you know, look at stuff like that. If you have two bad uh, pass defenses going against each other, that you know, that, there can be some fireworks in those games. Um, but moving forward, uh, looking at running backs for the week, uh, we'll start uh, at the cheap running backs because I think the guy everybody's talking about across industry is um, Sharkandrick West. Uh, he will be replacing. Um, the aforementioned Jamal Charles, who is unfortunately out for the season. Uh, West is, he, he looks like he's the guy that's going to take over starter snaps for the Chiefs. Uh, we've kind of seen this before with Niall Davis. Uh, the Chiefs, they, they, their offense revolves around the running back. Um, so we, we haven't seen a situation where Charles is out and they do much of a committee. You know, if they like a guy, they're, they're going to give him the rock. Uh, West is $6,200 on FanDuel, he's four thousand dollars on DraftKings, so he is—he's actually insane value on DraftKings. He's priced thirty-fourth, and he's actually cheaper than uh, Niall Davis, uh, despite out-touching um, Niall Davis uh, last week, eight to two. Um, shout out to John Paulson. I think he mentioned that uh, West had actually passed uh, Davis on the depth chart uh, mm-hmm. even before the injury. Um, that's something I didn't notice. Uh, so that's that's definitely worth noting and trying to project um, how they're going to divvy up the touches. Uh, if he already passed Davis on the depth chart and then Charles went out and he out the touch him eight to two, well then that's that's pretty strong evidence that he's going to be um, the main back. Uh, the Chiefs' offense, uh, their running backs have accounted for uh, nearly seventy percent of their touchdowns over the past two years. Now, obviously, that's a function of having Jamal Charles on your team, but at the same time. Uh, Alex Smith isn't going to push the ball downfield. They're not just going to be chucking it. So you expect them to uh, filter their offense through the running back. Um, you know, uh, Sharkandrick West is obviously a guy that a lot of people probably are not very familiar with. Now Davis is the guy that was um, drafted kind of as a handcuff going into the season. Uh, West, he's an undrafted player at Abilene Christian. I, I did a little bit of digging. Um, playerprofile.com is a really good resource to to find uh, player comps. Uh, you had to dig a little bit because there wasn't an exact comp, but the player that I found that he profiles um, closest to is like a Donald Brown type in terms of size and explosiveness. And, you know, he has some decent straight line speed. I think he ran like a 4.5, um, 40. So, you know, Donald Brown is, you know, a little bit of an underwhelming running back. We'd, we've had, we have seen him have some fantasy success when he's given the opportunity. And um, Minnesota does rank uh, 21st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So uh, there is potential um, for, for a good game there. And if he does you know, step into that role and they have a similar uh, share uh, that he had with Davis, 8-2, uh, to two, or basically a 4-1 to one split, then you know, we should see West somewhere in the 15-20 to 20 touch range. Um, so that's obviously a really good value. Uh, moving up a little bit in price, um, Chris Ivory uh, really stands out to me. He's $7,300 on FanDuel and uh, $5,100 on DraftKings. Again, he's a, a really good value on DraftKings where he's priced as the 13th back. And, you know, those DraftKings prices, we're going to see a lot of um, – we'll see a lot of values relative to other sites uh, from week to week just because they released their pricing so early. Um, so, you know, Chris Ivory is a little bit cheaper on there. Uh, he missed one game. I, I, I think he uh, th- there was a game that he was supposed to play and then didn't get any touches. 
he suited up, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So he's he's been active for you know basically three games. In those three games, he's averaged 22 touches a game. Uh, he's accounted for 42 percent of the just touches, which is just that's a huge amount. Only only four of the running backs are are posting uh, 22 touches a game and are accounting for more than you know 42 percent of their team touches. That's like Matt Forte territory. Uh, despite only playing three games, he's second to Devontae Freeman and touches inside the 10-yard line. Chris, you referenced this in the DFS playbook on 4 for 4 uh, We always talk about red zone touches and red zone targets, and that's fine for receivers, but with running backs, the upside really comes uh, inside the 10-yard line, yep. which is where touchdown rate really skyrockets, especially inside the 5, but uh, the sample size of touches inside the 5 is usually going to be pretty small, even over an entire season, so... You know, I think if you look inside the 10, those go-to-goal situations, Chris Ivory second in the league. And then, of course, uh, home favorites are great targets for running backs. The Jets are favored by six at home against a Washington team that we thought was good against the run last week, but then we saw him get gashed by uh, Devontae Freeman last week in a likely similar game script situation. So I really like Ivory going into week six. Um, moving on to the high-priced guy that... I'm targeting that will most likely anchor my cash games uh, across both sites is Arian Foster. Uh, we touched on him on the intro. Uh, Houston's just going to funnel their offense through him and um, and DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Arian Foster is $8,500 on FanDuel. He's $7,000 on DraftKings. <clears throat> so he's priced as one of the top uh, running backs, but rightfully so. Uh, He's been active for two weeks, but last week is the first week that he got a full complement of, of touches. Uh, he saw 28 touches, nine catches on 10 targets. Obviously, those are, you know, those are insane numbers. Those are Le'Veon Bell-type numbers, and uh, they will be facing the Jaguars. Who We saw what Doug Martin did to them last week. Uh, Jacksonville is ranked 32nd in 4-for-4 uh, four four adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, and Houston is a slight favorite. <clears throat> But uh, Foster is one of those rare game script-proof running backs. He's going to catch the ball. He's just going to be involved no matter what. And, you know, finally, um, I just want to touch on Le'Veon Bell. He's, he's kind of entering that Gronk territory where uh, no matter what his price is, he's going um, to be in play. He, is, he, he offers the highest floor of any running back. Uh, in the game. It's not even close. He's just a workhorse. He's the best running back in the game. We, we saw how uh, Pittsburgh uses him. You know, he's if it's Ben Roethlisberger, if it's Michael Vick, he's, he's going to get the targets. Um, I think he has more targets than Antonio Brown in each of the last two weeks. I don't, um, I don't know if you know if that's correct, Chris, but I'm pretty sure um, he's out-targeted Brown. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw that Pittsburgh trusts him, uh, you know, last second play to win the game, no time left, and they trust him to get it across the goal line. Um, a lot of people look at that dollar per point metric as an indicator of value. Um, in my own personal spreadsheets and value reports, I look at dollar per touch, and no matter how high Le'Veon Bell's uh, price is, he always grades out near the top in terms of dollar per touch. So um, I don't think they can price Le'Veon high enough right now. Uh, so, you know, those are the guys that I will have a good amount of shares of this week. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on running back before we get to wide receivers? Yeah, I think that's a great point, uh, dollar dollars per touch, because like you mentioned, it's really hard to evaluate players, and it's really hard to evaluate or project efficiency metrics. Be, you know, a running back averaging three yards per carry and a running back averaging five yards per carry, that's only a couple yards per carry. That might not be significant if one guy is getting 25 carries and the other one is getting only 14, 15. So, you know, dollars per touch is a great metric to use, something I use as well. And then also I wanted to mention, because I think Le'Veon and Arian Foster will probably be the most popular expensive running back plays, you know, in tournaments, you're always looking to pivot at places where you're getting lower-owned guys, but you're not really losing any value there. And I think a couple of guys to, to look at, uh, if you want to pivot off Bell and Foster, are Matt Forte yeah. and Adrian Peterson. Both of them are yep. seeing similar volume. The matchups are not prohibitive at all. And they'll likely be probably in single-digit ownership, I would think, um, with 
with West in play and then Foster and Bell in play yeah. at the other end. So just some guys to keep in mind. And, of course, if you're playing on Thursday slates, Devontae Freeman is in play. Now, he has been uh, limited in practice with with a toe injury. He did play through that same injury for the last couple of weeks. And I, what I would guess is that they're limiting him not so much because of his own injury, but because they're playing on a short week and might be without Julio Jones. Freeman has seen 30-plus touches in two out of his three games as a starter. The other game, he saw 19 and got pulled in the third quarter because it was a blowout. So my guess would be that they're just planning to give him another 30 touches, and that's why they're resting him. But, of course, check his status uh, before you roster him for Thursday games. So um, let's get into wide receiver. DeAndre Hopkins, he's the stud wide receiver play of the week. He's 8,500 on FanDuel, 7,700 on DraftKings. He's a top three fantasy wideout this year. His 14.8 targets per game leads the NFL, and it leads second place by a whole two and a half targets. His quarterback situation has not mattered, as TJ mentioned earlier. They're just feeding him the rock. He still caught 11 balls last week, even with Foster racking up 27 touches. So he's had a a really high floor in terms of his target volume. The only game in which he had a rough go was against Carolina, who has one of the league's best defenses and, of course, one of the league's best cornerbacks and Josh Norman. So I don't think that was really indicative of... Hopkins going forward, and Jacksonville has been a middling pass defense. They've allowed the 11th most passing yards in the league. And then we'll move on to Julian Edelman. He's another rock-solid, consistent option, 7,900 on FanDuel, 7,600 on DraftKings. Edelman's consistency has become even more useful with guys like Julio Jones and Odell Beckham having hamstring problems, and then Antonio Brown, as TJ mentioned, having Michael Vick problems. <laughs> um, Edelman, 11.7 targets per game, is fifth amongst wide receivers. The Colts have allowed the fourth most points to wide receivers, 24%. Uh, Edelman, excuse me, is seeing 24% of Patriots targets inside the 10-yard line. So he's getting targeted even in close, even though you don't think of him as that kind of receiver. He's able to use his short area quickness to win on little slant routes and things like that when they're close to the goal line. And then Edelman, this might surprise some people, but Edelman has got 30% of total Patriots targets. Yeah. Rob Gronkowski has only had 22%. Of yep. total Patriots targets. Yet on FanDuel, Edelman costs $300 less than Gronk. And on DraftKings, they're the same price. So, you know, we're always looking for volume as a way to help us predict the future in fantasy. And that's paid off the last few weeks. Edelman's seen more volume than Gronkowski. And as you can see, even though Gronk is such a great weekly bet for a, t- a touchdown, touchdowns are the most high variance statistic in fantasy in these last couple weeks Gronk has failed to get into the end zone and it's really hurt his value and hurt his value compared to Edelman so that's something to keep in mind and of course I already mentioned New England with that 31 point team total and then we have to look at Larry Fitzgerald yet again 7500 on FanDuel 7k on DraftKings he's the fantasy wide receiver too this season he leads the NFL in touchdown catches, he's 5th in yardage, and he's 7th in receptions. Now, he is bound for some regression off his would-be career best marks of 11.5 yards per target, an 80% catch rate, and 1.2 touchdowns per game. However, he hasn't been priced to that level of production to begin with because his price started out so low because, again, these sites are kind of opening their pricing with a lot of preseason projections taken into account. Yeah. Fitzgerald was kind of a late-round pick in fantasy drafts in August and September. So you're still getting the fantasy wide receiver two at a discount this week against Pittsburgh, who's 19th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And then quickly, just some guys to keep in mind in your tournaments because Fitzgerald, Hopkins, Edelman will likely be the highest-owned guys, and you might need some differentiation to truly take down a tournament. We talked about him last week. If you're playing on Thursday, Willie Sneed leads all New Orleans wide receivers and targets, and Landon New Orleans has a 50-plus over and under. And then a guy who I'm always on when he's on the road He's always seems to be under-owned, A.J. Green, going against Buffalo. Now, Buffalo kind of has a reputation as a strong 
pass defense, but they are 28th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And then inexplicably, I know I talk about this every time Green is on the road, but inexplicably, 50 in his career, 57% more production on the road than at home. And, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but he always seems to come up big on the road. His He's actually raised his career averages on the road this year. He had a monster game on the road, 227 yards, I believe, in week three. So, A.J. Green, another guy to keep in mind. You might get him at single-digit ownership in what's a good on-paper matchup. And then I mentioned Bortles' health before. As long as he's good to go, I do love the Jaguars wide receivers again. This week, your guy, T.J. Allen Robinson, he's in play. Yeah. Still underpriced throughout the industry, even though his price is creeping up. And then Alan Hearns, you know, again, seeing the targets, producing. I believe he hasn't been under 65 yards in a game yet this season. Blake Bortles is throwing deep this season more than any other quarterback in the NFL. He has thrown passes that have traveled at least 20 yards in the air. 11 times more than the second highest quarterback in that metric. So Blake Boyle is just chucking him deep. That's what's really helping Robinson and Hearns as great tournament plays. So uh, we'll get into tight ends in just a minute. But TJ, do you have any other thoughts on the wide receiver position this week? I mean, you talk about AJ as a GPP play, and I'm glad you keep bringing him up because he's a guy I just always overlook. I, <laughs> I, talk, I, mean, I mean, he's good. I know he's good, but... I, I've mentioned multiple times I'm a spreadsheet guy, uh, so he he never just pops off um, in the spreadsheets. You know he's he's always priced right around that top uh, top wide receiver uh, tier, but his numbers are never quite as good as like the the Hopkins and the Browns and the Odells. But he's always liable to go off for two touchdowns. Um, so you know he's he's always going to be a good GPP play. Um, one guy that that you didn't mention that. Uh, keeps kind of showing up on my radar as I dig through the numbers this week is Ty Montgomery. Um, he's especially cheap on DraftKings at $3,500. Uh, over the last two weeks, he leads all Green Bay wide receivers in snaps. Uh, you know, just if you just tell me uh, that I can have the the guy with Aaron Rodgers as quarterback that gets the most snaps uh, of the receiving core as the cheapest option, that alone is you know, a really good value. Um, he's out-targeted uh, James Jones the last two weeks, and he has just as many red zone targets as Jones on the season. Um, so, you know, Jones is kind of getting the the pub because he's got the touchdowns this year. Um, he has the long touchdown last week. Um, but Montgomery's on the field, uh, you know, just as much as Cobb and, and significantly more than Jones. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're looking for a cheap... Um, GPP play, and you mentioned Aaron Rodgers as a GPP quarterback this week. Um, I like I like Ty Montgomery as a sneaky play this week. Yeah, the, the Green Bay receivers, uh, Randall Cobb, shoulder issue. James yep. Jones, I believe he popped up on the injury report with a hamstring issue. And then yeah, and, Devontae and Adams, Jones. of course, you know, we don't know what his status is. So Montgomery, the healthiest Green Bay receiver as well. That's not something to be taken lightly. Healthiest and cheapest, and Jones is getting all the, all the um, run because he's scoring those touchdowns, but the volume's not there for Jones, so be careful with James Jones. Um, I've I've heard some really smart guys say that he's a borderline cash game play. He's not. Uh, so Ty Montgomery is is an interesting play. Yeah, not uh, not th- yeah, not this week for Jones. I don't think because I was yeah. thinking about that too. And I you know I was right. I was actually just doing my FanDuel cash game write up um, before we get, jumped on this podcast. And you know I was I was I wanted to look at Jones at sixty six hundred to fill out your wide receiver three, but again, Adams actually, he hasn't been ruled out for this week yet, and then I noticed that Jones, I was looking at uh, targets, I believe, inside the 10 or inside the red zone, and Jones is behind uh, Cobb and Richard Rodgers and pretty much everybody on the team. He's actually scoring a bunch of long long, touchdowns. Yeah, and those are just, you know, again, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, you know, the upside is always there. He's GPP, he's fine, but, you know, in terms of just statistically, these long touchdowns and long receptions in general because I know Jones had a couple of other long receptions I think he had a sideline grab the week before and uh, those things just statistically are very likely to regress so you know you could always see a James Jones game where he might end up catching four or five balls for like 50 yards and no touchdowns I think that's a that's a risk that could happen if the the long gains go away and then just quickly you, you talked about AJ Green and you know 
AJ, he's just a monster because a lot of people, I don't know how many people got a chance to see the Bengals-Seahawks game last week, but early in, I believe it was in the first quarter, uh, you know, Green finished with, I think he finished 5 for 67 on the day, so kind of underwhelming, but in, early in the first quarter, he just won a sideline route, I believe it was on Kerry Williams, and caught a deep ball, and it was another one of those plays like against the Ravens where... It looked like, okay, Green, you know, he caught a long pass on the sideline. He's gonna, he's about to go out of bounds, whatever. And he just, like, threw the defender aside. Yeah. And Wait, was that the play with the penalty, or was that yes, a yes, penalty? Yes, yes, he got called yes, back. Yes, that play he, was ridiculous. He sidestepped, like, two of the most yeah. glorious sidesteps that I think I've yeah. ever seen. You know, he just sidestepped, like, two guys and stayed in the field to play and just went for a touchdown. And it got called back because of a penalty. But if that doesn't get called back, he's got pretty much like a 6 for 150 line with a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. And this is against the Seahawks. So, you know, A.J. Green is a guy. Andy Dalton is playing some of the best quarterback, you know, this side of Tom Brady in the league. And uh, A.J. Green is just a guy. Don't overlook him pretty much all season, you know. He's, yeah. he's always going to be in play. I know there might be sexier options in a given week. And I just want to mention that by now, you know FantasyAces.com is one of our favorite daily fantasy sports sites. Well, it's about to be one of your favorites too. That's because you get a free entry to Sunday's 40K NFL Hail Mary contest when you make a first-time deposit of $25 or more. That's a free $22 entry just for making your first deposit of $25. The 40K NFL Hail Mary pays cash prizes to the top 350 placers, and you could win as much as $3,500. Just follow these simple steps to claim your free entry. Number one, make your first deposit of $25 or more at FantasyAces.com. Number two, enter a lineup in the 40K NFL Hail Mary. And number three, email support at FantasyAces.com with your username and mention this 4 for 4 promo. Number four, Fantasy Aces will issue a $22 credit to your account. It's that easy. And remember, use promo code 4 for 4. That's the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4 to get a 200% first-time deposit bonus. But yeah, TJ, we got a little off track. Uh, take us through your tight end plays for week six. Yeah, um, as always, the question is to Gronk or not to Gronk. Uh, you know, last week for me, it... I. It was a Gronk play in my mind. It didn't work out. Uh, he, you know, he had a little bit of a dud. But um, this week, if you look at the top guys, the top price guys, um, I think if you are going to pay up for Gronk or for tight end, that Gronk is is the only option. Um, you know, some people might make an argument for for Greg Olson. The matchup looks good against the Seahawks, and the the volume numbers are there. The only thing that really concerns me about that game is the implied point total uh, for the Panthers. The Panthers have the lowest implied point total of the week, um, so that's that's really scary to me. Uh, you know, if if your tight end doesn't have you know at least decent touchdown potential, then you could be in trouble at that position. You know, so especially on FanDuel where it's a, uh, you know, it favors touchdown production. Um, Gronk's 8,200 on FanDuel, 7,600 on DraftKings. It's just one of those things where you want exposure to this passing offense. It's just going to be up to you how you want to construct your roster, what piece of it you want, how you want to uh, pay for the specific positions. Um you know, gun to my head, I think I would rather roster Edelman. They're very similarly priced. Gronk is more expensive than Edelman on FanDuel. They're actually the same price on DraftKings, but Gronk offers upside that maybe no other player in the league offers. Um, shout out to Davis Maddock on this stat, but Gronk is the only other player besides Randy Moss to average a touchdown in over 70% of his games. Uh, if you just go through historical touchdown numbers, that is is a ridiculous number. Like for for reference, maybe the the greatest touchdown scorer of all time, Jerry Rice, is right around uh, 65% of his games he scored a touchdown. Uh, and Gronk, after this year, he's actually you know right around 80. So it's it's insane. And the Pats have um, a point total, uh, 31 points. So they're expected to score over four touchdowns. Anytime they're going to score that much, we expect at least one or two Gronk spikes. And the Colts rank 22nd in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. So I do think it is a Gronk week. Uh, it comes down to how you want to 
formulate your lineups. Uh, for me, I think this week I will be paying for Gronk because he's the type of player that, that can win the week for you alone. Um, if you do want to save a little bit but still want a little bit of a safer option, Chris, you already talked about Phillip Rivers. We talked about this offense. Uh, Antonio Gates, he stepped in, and I was off him because I wasn't sure how he was going to be used in this offense. I assumed that he would lead uh, Ladarius Green in targets, but I wasn't sure if it would be by a massive margin. It was. He had 11 targets last week. He had two targets in the red zone. Uh, both of those targets went for touchdowns. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers is—he's an elite touchdown th- thrower. I think I mentioned it last week. He's—he's yeah. uh, he's top six or top seven in history in touchdown rate. Um, that offense, I think, is one of the better passing offenses in the league. It doesn't look good from a Vegas standpoint. They're 10-point underdogs, the Chargers are, and projected for 20 points, I think. But they're going to be playing from behind. Um, they throw the ball. Melvin Gordon has been underwhelming this year, so they're, they're not going to run the ball, especially in this game where they're going to be behind. Uh, and w- when they do get to the red zone, um, they've thrown it on 65% of their red zone plays. And uh, like we mentioned, Antonio Gates is going to be that favorite red zone target. So if you do want to drop down $5,500 on FanDuel, $4,600 on DraftKings. And then if you want to punt the position, uh, one of my favorite guys to write up and as punt play as a streamer. I wrote him up this week on 4 for 4 as my tight end streamer, uh, Larry Donnell. Uh, again, a great value on DraftKings. He's only $2,800 on DraftKings. He's $5,300 on FanDuel. Uh, if, you, if you compare the relative price, uh, he's priced as a 14th tight end on FanDuel, but he's priced as a 22nd uh, tight end on DraftKings. So there's a bit of an inefficiency there. Uh, I always reference your um, articles that relate to um, fantasy scoring in terms of what correlates the most with fantasy scoring. And we know from reading those articles that targets, and especially red zone targets, correlate the strongest with tight end scoring. Uh, Larry Donnell, is, uh, he's in the top ten in targets among tight ends. He's second in red zone targets among tight ends. And this is a game with a 50-point over-under. So we should see some scoring. Uh, we finally saw those red zone targets turn into a touchdown at the end of the game last week against the 49ers. And kind of like the Chargers, once the Giants get into the red zone, they want to throw the ball. There are only four teams in the league with more pass attempts inside the red zone this season. Uh, That's not a surprise. Last year they were among the top teams passing in the red zone. They're just going to throw the ball to try to score. And uh, whether you think he's good or not, Larry Donnell's going to be a big part of that. So if you do want to punt the position, if you want a GPP play to save some salary, uh, I like Donnell this week. Uh, so, Chris, unless you have any thoughts on tight ends, um, we'll go in a little bit reverse order and go to our favorite position before defense. All right, cool. Yeah, let's just hop right into it quickly. Kickers, Steven Goskowski, of course, he's always in play. 5,100. The Pats have a 31-point team total, and they are third in situation neutral pace. So, Goskowski should get a lot of opportunities. And then, if you're looking for a minimum price option, Robbie Gold is 4,500 on FanDuel. He's got... At least two field goal attempts in every Jay Cutler start and has produced even in negative game script. Had a pair of 14-point games in losses to the Packers and the Cardinals. And as I mentioned, Cutler's back, so the Bears should be capable of moving the ball with Cutler Forte. They're playing a winless Lions team, so even though they are a road underdog, it's by three points, which basically means that Vegas thinks the teams are equal. They're just giving Detroit a three-point bump for being at home, so I'm not too worried about his underdog status there. Uh, TJ, who are you looking at in terms of defenses this week? Yeah, I think the uh, the anchor for defensive special teams across the industry is going to be the Jets this week. Uh, they're $4,800 on FanDuel. They're $3,100 on DraftKings. Uh, they're facing the Redskins. I mentioned with uh, Chris Ivory, six-point home favorites. There's, uh, like we've talked about before, a positive correlation between running backs and defenses. Um, the Redskins have the second-lowest implied point total of the week at 17.25. And Kirk Cousins has been one of the uh, worst quarterbacks since he came into the league in terms of throwing interceptions. Uh, he is the worst interception rate uh, with quarterbacks of at least 400 attempts since he came into the league, and this year he is the eighth worst in that category, uh, throwing an interception on 3.2%. 
of his attempts. Uh, after the top, this is actually a pretty tough week for defenses after the, the top-priced uh, defenses. There are a lot of bad teams playing each other this week, which means games can go either way. You know, there's bad offenses facing bad defenses. Uh, but if you do want to save some money, if you look at the value reports on 4 for 4, a cheaper defense that kind of stands out is the Lions. Um, they are $2,500 on DraftKings, $4,300 on FanDuel. This is probably a GPP-only play just because this game could really go, you know, either way. It could be really high scoring or it could just be really ugly because both teams are pretty bad. Uh, Chicago is 27th in um, schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to defense and special teams. Uh, we always want that home favorite. That's always a boost for defense. Uh, Detroit's favored by three at home. Uh, Chicago has an implied point total under 20 points, which is really low. And it's if Alshon and Eddie Royal are out again, then that that boosts this pick even more. And then you always have the um, the Cutler factor. You know, <laughs> Cutler can you know you know Jay can always he can always be. Uh, be good for three picks and maybe one to the house. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, anchor cash teams with the Lions, but they're an interesting GPP play. Uh, Chris, anything to add to any positions before we move on to our theory segment? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered it. Um, I think I think at tight end, I'm also looking at uh, Martellus Bennett. He's coming up yes. with strong, strong value. And, of course, you know, you alluded to Especially if Alshon's out. Right, of course. And um, you alluded to the top defenses. You know, I think the Broncos have to be in play as yeah. well. Um, yeah. They are outscoring every other fantasy defense by about four points this year. And yep. Josh McCown, you know, I don't, I don't quite know what to make of him. He's had three straight just huge games. Uh, the Broncos' defense is much better than any defense he's played, so I bet on him coming back down to earth. And then also, you know, we mentioned Gary Barnage. You know, Denver has really strong cornerbacks, so I mean, mm-hmm. if Cleveland's going to have to throw at some point, I'm guessing more targets going in uh, Gary Barnage's direction. So that's another guy to keep an eye out on but um you know i i want to get into our theory segment uh tj i know you've been wanting to talk about this how you can't think of players or lineup decisions in a vacuum you have to pay attention to how rostering one player affects the rest of your lineup so just jump right into it yeah man so for me this is i mean it is a theory topic it for Compared to some of our other segments, this is a little bit more of a rant for me than a specific, uh, you know, strategy theory. But it's something that I really want to address because I hear it uh, week in and week out from uh, from casual fantasy players, from uh, professional DFS players, and they compare, you know, they're comparing two players and asking who's a better play, player A or player B. And like you said, we we really can't look at players. Um, in a vacuum that way, especially in DFS, the reason being that uh, this game is, it hinges on value, it hinges on price. Uh, So every move you make is going to affect the rest of your lineup. It's going to affect the floor of your team. It's going to affect the ceiling of your team. It's going to affect uh, who you can roster other positions. So, you know, comparing two players at you know somewhat different price points, um, it's not necessarily the best way uh, to approach DFS. Uh, we have to look at how a player's price is not just their absolute price, but relative to the cap, uh, how it affects every spot in your lineup. Um, if a player is uh, say four hundred or five hundred dollars cheaper. Uh, and he's a better value. You talk about you know top top quarterbacks. You know this week uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are four hundred dollars apart. Uh, so you know you'll you'll hear these arguments. Who's the better play? Where well, if if you think uh, Tom Brady's clearly the better play, but you're arguing that you should play Aaron Rodgers because he's four four hundred dollars cheaper. Well, if that if that four hundred dollars doesn't change your core. If it's not upgrading you significantly to say someone like a Le'Veon Bell or Matt Forte, then um, then that argument is kind of out the window because you're not upgrading your lineup. All you're doing is rostering a, a theoretical better value. Um, and and what this argument boils down to a lot when you're comparing two players and in, in DFS and we all have roots in season long fantasy. Uh, it a lot of times it boils down to people arguing who's a better talent. Um, 
we don't care so much about talent DFS. It doesn't matter, but this is a weekly game. You know, we're not trying to project uh, season-long scores here. We're not trying to project someone that we need on our team for 16 weeks. So, if if you're arguing, you know, players in a vacuum based on who's a better player. Um, rather than what we've talked about, touchdown rates, scoring rates, recent production, um, opportunity for running backs, then uh, you're kind of getting away from what daily fantasy is on the core. Uh, just because a player is a better talent, that doesn't necessarily make him a, uh, a better play in DFS. And Chris, we talked about this a, a little bit before and when we brought up this topic to each other. Uh, we're pretty much on the same page in terms of how you need to be thinking about player comparisons in DFS. Um, you know, if you're comparing two players and you're trying to argue if they're a better play, um, in cash games, if if you can drop down in value at a specific position and it's going to raise your floor in terms of rostering a quarterback or a running back, which is the, the more consistent, the higher floor positions in cash games, then yeah, then then you have an argument there. Then you should be considering if you can, you know, increase that floor, if you can get a better running uh, quarterback, if you can upgrade from a, a Russell Wilson to an Aaron Rodgers, then yeah, you can make a running back for that. Uh, you can make an argument for that second tier running back in your RB2 spot um, and vice versa. If, if you're arguing that you want to, take a little bit of a value play at quarterback and you're going to get a higher ceiling at, at wide receiver. If you can upgrade from a, a Brandon Marshall to a Demarius Thomas, then, you know, that's a fair argument. If you're arguing your quarterback because you can upgrade the ceiling of your team, that's a fair argument in GPPs. Um, you just can't argue it in a vacuum. You have to always be considering your your whole team. You always have to be considering your uh, your goal of your lineup. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on on how we evaluate players, on how we evaluate lineups as a whole? Because I mean, really, it's some of the most popular questions, you know, on Twitter, emails. It's like, what? Who's the best running back to play? Who's the best quarterback to play? And that's not how DFS works. Right. Exactly. You brought up some great points, and I think again, you do just have to think of all players in terms of how they're affecting the rest of your lineup. In cash games, you alluded to this. You want consistency. There's a positional hierarchy of sorts. It goes quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Um, on DraftKings with the full PPR, uh, wide receivers and running backs are pretty much equally consistent, although running backs still have a little bit of a higher floor just because the they can see upwards of 20 touches in a game. Usually wide receivers don't usually get that many targets. But, yeah, so if you're building your cash game lineups, you know, the first thing I'm always trying to do is I'm not thinking of whether I should pay for Gronk. I'm trying to find the cheapest tight end that I can because it's such a high-variance position. Even yeah. if I roster Gronk in a cash game, you know, what's the worst? If Gronk goes off, you know, but he costed everyone, say, 80, 80 something, over $8,000 on FanDuel, you know, and he goes off, that's fine, but what is how is the rest of everyone's lineup that roster Gronk yeah. gonna look? You know, uh, tight end is the lowest scoring position, and it has the most variance. So even if I completely whiff on a tight end, I could still be okay if the rest of my lineup is strong. If I have a, a high floor quarterback and a couple of high floor running backs, and maybe even a, a high floor wide receiver one. So you know, there is a positional hierarchy there. And it, it and it, even within the positions, you know, you want you you generally want a good core of a quarterback, wide running back one, and wide receiver one, and then you're looking for more value plays at RB two, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and uh, and your tight end in, in cash games, and then in tournaments, like you mentioned, the opposite is true. So you know, if I'm 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 always looking rather than paying up for one stud wide receiver, I'm always trying to see if I can get maybe two in the game, or maybe one stud with a borderline number two, and then the question becomes, okay, well, where do I save salary at? You you know, again, you want to look at tight end just because it's the lowest scoring position with the most variance. And then you, you look to drop down a little at, at quarterback or your RB2 slot um, to, to kind of even that out. So if you always think of how your lineup and, and the plays you roster are going to affect other guys. Um, you know, another thing to keep in mind is ownership. You know, if yeah. you choose to roster a chalk play, that might require you to roster three other chalk plays because just the way that one chalk play fits into your lineup, yeah. maybe he's expensive. You know, the, the more expensive players tend to be the highest owned. Maybe a guy 
is a certain price and that requires you to kind of fit in other high-owned guys and your whole roster is constructed in a chalky way. But just yeah. going off the grid with one uh, low-owned play might now open your entire lineup up to different construction because maybe you went for a quarterback in the 7K range when everyone's going with quarterbacks either in the 6K or the 8K range or you went with a uh, a higher-end running back, too, when everyone's not paying up higher than Devontae Freeman. There's a lot of different things that you can do to, to differentiate your lineup, and it depends on what... It could just start it with what player you roster at one position. It'll have a butterfly effect going down. So that's just... Always keep that in mind. It is never a vacuum. You might be uncomfortable rostering a, a cheap play, but that cheap play, even if he's not a great dollar-per-point value as you might like, he might offset allow you to offset him with a couple of guys on the higher end now that are just so such good dollar per point values that it doesn't matter if your lower own uh, lower salary guy doesn't have a big game because you just have a lot of production at the top of your lineup so all things to keep in mind as you're deciding between players it's not just what as tj mentioned what player is the better player or the better talent or even the better dollar per point value so, uh, TJ, you know, I think we covered a lot of what we want to talk about uh, with this. You know, do you have any closing thoughts on just selecting players and making decisions and players in a vacuum? No, man, I, I think you nailed it, especially with that ownership percentage stuff. I mean, you know, what, what, what we want to do for the listeners, we want, to give, we want to give you guys nuggets on how to think about the game. Right. Uh, you know, it's the whole, you know, give a man a fish and feed him for a day, teach him how to fish feed them for a lifetime you know we can give you picks week to week but you know learning how to think about things like that you know choosing players and and roster construction it's important man and if if you can uh you know recognize that and realize that it's you know it's all a puzzle we're trying to piece together like i said at the beginning these are all things that are going to give you an edge in this game where the the margins are so small Right. And, you know, something to keep in mind for anybody, you know, just getting into DFS and, you know, wondering what kind of opportunity is out there to profit and can you do well? Well, just something to think about, you know, Devontae Freeman, you know, the last three weeks, we've talked about him on the podcast every week and he's been the highest scoring, basically either top two running back each of the last three weeks. And the first week, he was owned about 7%, 8% across the industry on average. That means 92% of lineups didn't include him. Then, mm. then the week after, he goes off again, and um, he's only owned about 12 to 15%. So that means 85% of lineups didn't have him. And then even last week, when he was the highest-owned player pretty much across the industry, in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker, he was owned about 21.7% of the time, which means 80% of lineups didn't have him. And in, you know, in, the, in the FanDuel Sunday Million, he was owned about 30% of the time, which means 70% of lineups didn't have him. So, you know, even we're in a bubble here, you know, just by listening to, to, to podcasts like this and consuming content, you're, you're getting an advantage because there's, a, there's just a lot of opportunity out there and not everybody's thinking the same way. And there's a lot of opportunities to be had in DFS because of that. So that's just something to keep in mind. And uh, speaking of the listeners, uh, we have a few Twitter questions from the listeners that we want to get to. So I'll jump right into those. At Joe underscore UNC asks, when do you get off Freeman in cash games? When is his ownership too high? TJ? Uh, when is his ownership too high? I mean, you know, if I think, if I think Freeman is – is the nuts running back play of the week, then I'm going to plug him into my cash games. Um, if you're worried about him being owned too high, that's kind of a, a GPP thing there. Yeah. Um, I started getting off him last week because I expected his ownership to be pretty high. Uh, that back, backfired a little bit because he still had another really, really good game. Um, but, you know, in cash games, if I think someone is the highest floor guy, then I'm, I'm going to throw him in my roster assuming he fits the uh i guess the concern more should be uh when does his price get too high um i mean if he's priced around Le'Veon or or like arian foster then i'm probably gonna you know i hate to say in a vacuum because we just talked about not talking in a vacuum but uh you know given the choice there then he's probably priced a little too high for my taste but for now you know he's still all systems go um next one 
from uh, one of our favorite followers, a guy that's always you know really good about interacting and retweeting us, um, at KitD99. Um, he asks us, when looking at Vegas lines, what's usually more accurate, the open or the current? And you've got, he's talking about line movement here. Uh, Chris, what is more important for you? Well, I'm usually looking, like you just mentioned, the line movement itself. So they're both important. The yeah. opening line, I think, is good to kind of judge the initial thought process of the consensus in a given week. So a lot of times, you know, many DFS players aren't are going to be as involved as us in terms of tracking the Vegas lines and tracking all these players. And so a lot of times you can get a sense of just how the public is going to feel about a game from the opening line. And then looking at the line movement, that's kind of giving you an indication of how Vegas is incorporating new information as the week progresses, how they are analyzing the game after doing more research, and also how the sharps are betting on the game. So if a line is moving in a certain direction, if a line, if an over-under has increased or a team spread has gotten larger, that's usually a good indication that there's increased confidence in that team and you could you might want to get behind them a little stronger um and of course in gpp sometimes you're looking for a contrarian place and then you can kind of go against the vegas lines and say well i think everyone according to the vegas lines this line is moving in a certain direction but hey maybe i don't feel as strongly about that so i'm going to kind of fade the, the, this game in in some of my gpp lines i remember a couple of weeks ago there was a game between the Chargers and the Bengals that the over and under kept rising and it actually turned out to be a pretty underwhelming game fantasy wise yeah. so you know a lot of people were on that game because of the line movement but you could have also faded it in tournaments and that would have helped you out so again you know the current line is always going to be the a little bit more important, but the opening line is really good to gauge, you know, the new information and how how things have affected uh, the game and potential game script as the week progresses. So uh, thanks, Kent D ninety nine, for that question. Uh, T J Cousins one asks, do we have different criteria for large field GPP wide receivers versus cash game wide receivers? T J. Uh, well, first of all, shout out to another TJ sending in a question. Um, you know, always love there. But, yeah, I mean, you do have different criteria, especially at the wide receiver position where it's a very volatile position. Uh, we talked about this a lot. In, um, in those cash games, we always want to target those uh, high-volume wide receivers. We're looking at targets. Um, red zone targets are always going to be important because you do want touchdown upside even in your cash games. Um, and then, uh, you know, something to look at is – like slot performance and depth of target. Um, if if receivers are lining up in the slot, then they're uh, likely getting short targets, which are high percentage plays and uh, passes that are a little bit more predictable than passes that are downfield. I mean, relative to running backs or quarterbacks, uh, they're always going to be more volatile just because wide receivers seeing fewer touches, fewer looks. Um, but yeah, I want targets um, uh, and short targets specifically. Um, for my cash games, uh, large field GPP wide receivers. Uh, I don't know if if TJ specifically said large field because he's just talking about um, like those the mega field GPPs. Um, but one one criteria that I'm always looking at in my GPPs is yes, I want those red zone zone targets that we've talked about. Uh, but we talked about touchdown rate a lot uh, in this episode and past episodes. Um, you can you can look at touchdown conversion rate inside the red zone and you'll find uh, a handful of guys who have significant red zone looks, significant looks inside the 10, but their touchdown conversion rate is extremely low. That's a number that usually is going to regress to the mean, um, even over the course of one season. Um, some guys that really stand out, uh, probably the most glaring example this year is Jarvis Landry. Uh, he's second in the league. And well, depending where you look, first or second in the league in red zone targets, but he's yet to score a red zone touchdown. Um, and then opposite guys that you might want to fade if they have uh, a ridiculously high red zone conversion rate. If your name's not Gronk, then that number is probably going to come down. So you don't want to look at necessarily the touchdowns that they've been scoring, but the targets that they've been getting inside the red zone. Uh, if those touchdowns are really high, that number should come down. If the touchdowns are really low, that number should come up. But people are probably going to be off of them because they haven't been scoring touchdowns, but they'll come. So that's what I'm looking at in the two-game formats. 
Good points. And I just want to add that, you know, in terms of cash game versus GPP wide receivers, and I alluded to this before, but in GPPs, you just want a stronger wide receiver core because wide receivers tend to have the most upside of any position. They can, they're capable of scoring the most fantasy points of any position because they, if they can catch a couple of deep targets, a couple of touchdowns in a game, let's combine that with recep- getting points for receptions, they are going to be able to hit those 30 and 40 point scores, uh, depending on which site you play on, with more regularity than running backs than quarterbacks. So yeah. in a GPP, one good rule I like to use is you, you want to, get a value somewhere, and you want your wide receiver two to basically kind of almost be at wide receiver one quality. So, yeah. you know, if you're going to roster a DeAndre Hopkins this week as your wide receiver one, you know, maybe you also have an Edelman, uh, uh, even a Larry Fitzgerald as your wide receiver two, or even A.J. Green, and, and you try to find some value elsewhere. That's what's a lot of times going to really put you over the top of GPPs. If your wide receiver two is wide receiver one quality, and then your wide receiver three is more of a wide receiver two, and then de- well, depending on which site you play because if you're on FanDuel, you might just find a bargain wide receiver three. Or if you're on DraftKings, you want to really strengthen your wide receiver core. You want to get a wide receiver in the flex in most cases. So that's, that's just something to think about as well. But that was a great, uh, great podcast, TJ. about wraps it up for DFS MVP in week six. Um, TJ, thank you for sharing your DFS wisdom for us, tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. You can find my co-host Chris Raybon on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Uh, of course, follow 444Football on Twitter at 444Football. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Good luck. And as Chris always says, let's get this money. Let's get this money. Later. Yo, it's y'all people crazy. I bust you and be crazy. Stop acting like a baby. Mind your business, lady. Nosy people get it too. When you see me spit at you, you know I'm trying to get rid of you. Yeah, I know it's pitiful. That's how killers get down. Watch my killers spit round. Make you suckers get ground. Just for talking, clown. Oh, you think it's funny? Then you don't know me, money. It's about to get ugly. Whatever, dog, I'm hungry. I guess you know what that means. Come up off that green. Rob's against over me. Don't make it a murder scene. Give a dog a bone. Leave a dog. Let a dog roam and he'll find his way home. Home of the brave, my home is the cave. And yo, I'm a slave to my.